Happy Sabbath and good morning everyone. It's nice to see you again. It's also nice to see the kids involved in church. I want to thank Isabella for that lovely conversation. And I just want to encourage parents to, you know, keep kids involved in church. Get them involved at an early age. It sets them up for so much success in life. So much of what we learn in church, especially the Adventist church, really prepares you to succeed in life. So it was really nice talking to Isabella. Um, I trust that we are all well. I trust that we have had a good week, each of us. And today we're going to continue our series, This Is Us. This Is Us. And I trust God that we're going to have a good time today. Before I get started, I just want to really shout out the AV team working very hard. It's really a wonder to see the behind the scenes operation. So I really want to affirm them this morning and thank them for their service. So as we get into it, I have just about 35 minutes. So we're going to have to move quickly this morning. Last week, we began our series, This Is Us, looking at the seven churches of Revelation. And we kicked it off in grand style with our pastor, Pastor Moses, taking us through the message to the first church, Ephesus. And of course, we remember that these messages to these churches had three applications. There was the historical application or the application to the church at that time, that specific time in history. There was the prophetic application looking at the stages of the Christian church throughout time until the coming of Jesus. And of course, there is the universal application or the personal application that has relevance to each of our lives. So we want to thank Pastor Moses for kicking us off and reminding us that really God has the leaders of his church in his hands and they have nothing to worry about. That was Ephesus. Today we focus on Smyrna. Smyrna, the second church. And Smyrna was a persecuted church, a persecuted people. But it was one of the churches that did not receive any rebuke. <laughs> Today is going to be interesting. Today we're going to discuss us. We're going to discuss us, right? We're going to look at our church on several levels. And... Today, if you're looking for a title, the title is, You Are Rich. You Are Rich. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the rest we can find. Lord, we thank you for the technology that we could reach not only our congregation, but the entire world. Be with us now as we spend some time in your word. Speak for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I hope nobody's nervous. Because the preacher has on royal wear today. I mean, we're supposed to be a royal priesthood. So I'm just embracing my royalty today, alright? So I hope everybody's okay. And I mean, I hope if we were in church, I might have gotten an amen. But for today, I'll imagine it was there, right? Uh, in our country, in August, we celebrate emancipation. So I thought that it would be fit for us to talk a little bit about freedom today. Is that all right? 
And I know I can't hear your amens, but we want to see some action in the chat. We want some flames. We want some lifted hands. We want some amens. We want, if the Spirit touch your type, all right? If the Spirit touch your type. So we're going to talk about freedom today. And let me warn you that today's message is going to make some of us uncomfortable. But I promise you, it would be worth it. All right? Um, growth is never comfortable. So turn your Bibles to me. Turn your physical Bible, although it will be on the screen. But turn your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 11. And we are going to read it together. So as I read, you will follow along. But I want us to read out loud. So we should have found Revelation right now. That's the easy one. It's right at the back. Right? But before we read, I want us to pay attention to something. In my Bible, in my good old King James Bible, everything we are about to read is in red. Everything we are about to read is in red. So that says to me that Jesus is talking. Jesus is talking to us today. So let's listen to what Jesus has to say. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. We read, And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an heir, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Thank you, Jesus. So when I first read this passage, when I got the assignment, I was thinking, what can I say about this message, these words that were given so long ago? What, what can I say? Or rather, what is God trying to say to his people in 2021? And after thinking about it for some time, I remember 2020. Now, globally, 2020 was about two things. 2020 was about COVID, which we're still dealing with. And 2020 was also about Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. In the middle of a pandemic, killing thousands of people, we were advised by the doctors and the other scientists, stay away from people, social distance, physical distance, whatever you want to call it. But hundreds of thousands of people all across the world decide to come together. They decided to come together. The advice is to stay apart. We decided as a world to come together to say Black Lives Matter. And when I saw all of this commotion, the question I had to ask was, but why, why we even have to say this? This should be obvious. Why we have to walk around the place bawling Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter? I mean, God created all human beings. We all have value. 
we all deserve the best that life has to offer so so why why all this why all this bacchanal so i came up with the answer that people had to march people had to kneel people had to raise awareness because it wasn't obvious it wasn't obvious that black lives matter for the better part of 500 years the western world in the western world black lives have been worth less than other lives i mean we all went to school we know the history the transatlantic slave trade yes we're going there today the transatlantic slave trade stole african people and reduced us to to property one human being could own another human being that's where we get the term chattel slavery from so 12 10 to 12 the historians estimate and this is an estimate so it could be higher 10 to 12 million persons were taken from africa enslaved persons 15 to 25 percent of them didn't survive the trip they died on the ship 15 to 25 percent and those who did survive they came to the caribbean and the new world the americas to produce things of great value plenty money involved sugar tobacco rum these are the things that were making money at the time and this was why we people looking like us became property so during this period of earth's history black lives only mattered as long as they could make money for somebody else as long as a black life was an economic tool but you know this is trinidad and tobago so some people may think that this doesn't really apply to me well indentured labor indentured servitude that scattered indian people across the entire british empire that was just slavery by another name they had very poor conditions worked for very little if any wages and it was an equally cruel system and this is why indian people are among the most dispersed in the world you could find indian people everywhere south africa fiji all over the place wherever the british were they replaced their slaves with indian indented labor so the countries that like to call themselves developed and advanced they could only give themselves those titles because of the wealth that they gained from exploiting non-white people non-european people so when i read about tribulation in revelation 2 as a black man as a black person this is what comes to mind this is tribulation i mean and it didn't stop there when a policeman could kill a black man knowing that he's being recorded knowing that the entire world is going to see this and feel okay about it till he had a smoke on his face that is tribulation that's what that's what i saw we read about tribulation a while ago as a black man as a black person as colored people as they like to say we, we, do, we don't live a peaceful experience 
Now, George Floyd wasn't perfect, the man who generated all this Black Lives Matter advocacy. He wasn't perfect, but he was a human being. He had worth. He was somebody's father. He was somebody's brother. He, met, he meant something to a lot of people. He had worth. And that's the point of today's message. We all have worth. We all have worth. So nobody's perfect. But let us not judge. Let us not judge. Because if Jesus was here today, he might have to kneel down in the sun and start to write. Omari, you remember when you used to do X, Y, Z? So yes, George wasn't perfect. But he had worth. None of us are perfect. But we have worth. So that's why people had to march. That's why people had to, to demonstrate. To say that black lives matter. And just shifting gears a bit. The passage also mentions poverty. So let, let's talk about African poverty. And I put up the, in, the inverted commas. And before I get into this part, I just want to say that, our, that we are thinking and praying for brothers and sisters in Haiti. Again, they were impacted by a, a large magnitude earthquake this morning. When I left home, I didn't get the report on how many casualties, if any, but they are likely to be. So we continue to pray for them. But you are likely to hear when people describe Haiti, oh, it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. You know, they, they're always suffering. They always seem to be in a bad place. But have we ever stopped or have you ever stopped to think about how the country got in that position? Some of us who were fortunate to do history in school, we would have read about the Haitian Revolution. So some of your homework today is to go and find a copy of the Black Jacobins and read it up, the story of the Haitian Revolution. So this enslaved group of people defeated the major powers of Europe and declared their independence in 1804. Burn down the plantations, kill everybody. We in charge. But there was a price to pay for that, a price to pay for your own freedom. And what was that price? The French rolled up, they came back in 1825 with, with, with guns at the ready. And they said, hey, pay us back for all the damage you caused to our plantation or on our property, or we come and take it back by force. And initially, they demanded 150 million francs. They negotiated down to 90 million francs. This is in 1825. And in today's money, the 90 million francs would have been worth about more than 20 billion US dollars. So it's a lot of money. So from 1825 to 1947, Haiti had to be paying this debt to France. So that is why if every time you raise money, you have to be giving it to somebody else. There's no way you could get yourself out of poverty. So we talk about African poverty, right? The passage spoke about poverty. Coming closer home, 1783, a lot of history today. I, lo I loved history in school. 1783, the cellular of population. Yes? 
So the Spanish government at the time invited mostly French white planters to come to Trinidad because Trinidad was underpopulated at the time. Bring your slaves, bring your enslaved people and we'll give you land. And the distribution was based on the amount of enslaved persons that you brought with you. So imagine in an agrarian society, agriculture is the big thing. You are giving away land to European people, to white people. So essentially, they have all the money and they control the economy. When the slaves finally were emancipated, they had no land to get. So from then till now, this group of people create, controlled the heights of the economy. So we always hear this conversation about people being lazy and people being, you know, not constructive. So therefore they are in poverty. But we don't mention the head start that other groups had. And up until 1970, somebody with my complexion, somebody with my hair, couldn't work in a bank in Trinidad. And as a bank, we're not talking about, you know, the other opportunities that existed economically. So this is why people had to march. This people, people were feeling disenfranchised. People were feeling poor. People were experiencing poverty. But in my Bible, in my Bible, in the brackets, the big word is parentheses. Can't even pronounce it properly. It says, but thou art rich. Despite all these setbacks and all these forces against this group of people, the Bible says, thou art rich. And we want to spend some time talking about those riches today. We want to talk about riches today. And I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the, the richest men ever to walk the face of the earth was a black man. A black man, a black West African king called Mansa Musa. So you look him up after. He was a Muslim, as most places in West Africa were at the time. And in 1324 to 1325, he made Hajj, so he was going to Mecca to perform Hajj, I think is the correct term, forgive me. And he was a very rich man, so he spent some time in Egypt. And while he was there, because his kingdom was rich in gold and they used to mine so much gold, he was just giving out gold. Hey, you, you want some gold? Take some gold. You, 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 you good? Take some gold. He gave away so much gold that the price of gold plummeted for about 10 years. That's how rich this one man was. He and his entourage. So my African brothers and sisters, we are rich. We have always been rich. My Indian brothers and sisters, you are rich. We are rich. But not only are we rich in material things, but our culture, the way we do things is also valuable. Our philosophy is valuable. Our contributions to science are valuable. Our oral tradition, something that we take a lot of pride in, especially in Tobago, this is valuable. This is what makes us rich. They all have value. Our music, all right, we're coming home now. African music, Indian music, 
the PC term, politically correct term, would be ethnic music. It's valuable. Or food. It's valuable. You think Colonel Sanders figure out them 11 herbs and spices by himself? No, man. Every aspect of our culture has value. And this is why so many people have exploited African culture, ethnic culture, because we are rich. So today, don't let anybody cut style on you. You are rich. So what does all of this have to do with us good church people? Us good, holy, Bible-believing church people. The thing is, unfortunately, many times, the church is a microcosm of society, of wider society. And unfortunately, excuse me, the non-white experience has been the same in the church as it has been in society. Mercy Jesus. Hopefully, I would have gotten an amen for that if we were in church. How the chat looking? Put a different way. If African culture is so valuable, everybody's trying to make money off this thing. Valuable enough to be exploited. Why is it that African culture is stifled in Christianity? And in particular, in Adventist Christianity. Why is that? So much value there. Why can't we see it? Or why isn't it seen enough? And I, I want to say today, by upholding the whitewashing of Christianity and of holiness, we are losing African young people and other young people of color from our churches. Plain and simple. A lot of African, Indian, other ethnic minorities in certain places are leaving the church because they don't see themselves in church. They don't see their culture represented on Sabbath. You don't stop. I don't take off my complexion or my hair or my food. I don't eat different food on Sabbath. It's with me when I come to church. We're supposed to be Christians all week. So therefore, I, I think it makes sense that we're supposed to be African and Indian and Chinese all week. And all black Adventists would have asked themselves some of these questions. What is so wrong with drums? And we know the single question argument, but that's an EY by itself. What is so wrong with drums? Why praise and worship for divine hour? But the choruses that we came up with, that's an EY. Hmm. And on the pulpit, jacket and tie, only jacket and tie. Why? And I have a little bit of time, so I'll give this example. <laughs> we recently handled at the, the SRC, Seismic Research Center, we recently handled a volcanic crisis in, in St. Vincent. Unfortunately for us, the most senior geologist was a Vincentian. So it was a calculated communication tactic to make him the spokesperson. 
because he had the accent, he had the dialect, he had the stories, he knew the places, he knew the culture. So on the day when we said, you know, this thing is going to go and they decided to evacuate, everybody listened. The majority, nobody died. And afterwards, people were telling us of how proud they were that it was one of them, one of us that was leading the charge, that was, you know, keeping us safe. And that was because they saw themselves in this person who was trying to help them. As, as, as Christians, we are trying to help people. We are trying to bring them into fullness of life. But they can't see, a lot of people cannot see themselves in us, in our worship services, in the songs we sing. I mean, our brand of Christianity, the SDA version, came from the whitest of the white. I mean, the area in the U.S. where Adventism started is even called New England. Come on, man. But today, I have good news. Today, I have good news. I have come by to tell you that being African is not a sin. Contrary to popular demand, contrary to popular thought, being African is not a sin. And in even better news, Christ died for all. Everybody, toot moon, toot bagai. So this is not a white man's religion or anyone's religion for that matter. If you want to worship like a white man, that's up to you. God never asked us to do that. Fear God and keep his commandments. That was it. Fear God and keep his commandments. Not the commandments of any other ethnic group. Jesus died for Africans, he died for Indians, he died for Chinese, he died for Europeans, he died for Douglas. Jesus died for everybody. So forget all this talk about white man's religion. The gospel of Jesus Christ was in Africa long before the, ships, the slave ships came. Because I mean, if in 1324 a man could leave West Africa and go to Mecca, the, Jesus, the, the, the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Almighty God would have been widespread in Africa. And you know, I had to laugh when I read this part in the passage. Verse, which verse is it? Verse 9. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not. What are the synagogue of Satan? <laughs> I ain't calling no name. But we have a lot of people who claim they brought Christianity to Africa. So I, I want to point you to a book. This is required reading um, by a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. He went to Oakwood, did his BA in theology. He also went to Andrews and did his doctorate. So he's a legit Seventh-day Adventist. He's married to a Jamaican woman. And he wrote a book called Africa's roots in God. And it, it basically talks about infusions of, of God and in knowledge of the almighty God in African culture. So I encourage you to look up that book, find the PDF, buy it if you must. But he has several presentations on YouTube. Google him. I won't try to pronounce his name, but to say Pastor Yangson, it's, it should be, should be on the screen. So, I mean, some of the examples he brings, he talks about... Memeneda, a word in the Akan culture that is the word for Saturday. 
And looking up, looking it up briefly, it talks about the translation, one of them, because there are several. I am that I am's day. What does that sound like? That's the name for Saturday. Other historians, of course, say that it was the birthday of the sky god. And, you know, he goes through in his books and in his presentations talking about the land of Ham, which was the biblical name for Africa. And, you know, Africa's role in the time of Christ and in the time of, of biblical history. And it's clear that Africans were exposed to the same God we worship now, the Christian God, long before the slave ships came. So we, we, we can't say that, you know, this is something that is alien to us. So today I am not here to encourage ancestor worship and, and any other kind of unbiblical idea. All I am saying is there is no shame in worshiping God as your full African self, your full Indian self, your full Chinese self, your full Douglas self. There's no shame in that. I mean, I long to see the day where we could have goatskin drums in church, where we could play them. And I know a few songs that we could sing for praise and worship. Yeah, I, I want to see that. I mean, we need to get rid, and I think it's time we get rid of a lot of these inherited colonial prejudices because they are not ours and they are damaging our people. They are alienating them from the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of a God who could transform a life here and give you everlasting life forevermore. So I want to encourage us to not throw the baby with the bathwater. And I want to share a quote that I came across recently. It says, worthiness isn't culture. It's character. So, respectfully, what I'm saying is that we need to stop criminalizing culture and focus on character, focusing on becoming more and more like Jesus and expressing that in your own culture so everybody could feel like they have a space because Jesus did create a space for everybody in this world. He made all of us. So my African young people, people of color, people of all ages, stay faithful to God and receive your crown of life. It is yours. Don't let anybody take it from you. Your life, your salvation is your responsibility. Stick with Jesus. He's the only way to salvation. The ancestor's not going to save you. But Jesus can. All the money and stuff that other people might want to worship, those things can't give you a truly fulfilled life. Stick with Jesus. God made us all. As different as we are, he made all of us. So it makes sense that you should be your true self in Christ. My people, be thou faithful and I will give thee a crown of life. 
he that overcometh shall not be hurt in the second death. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have spent in your word. We thank you for this time where we have been reminded that you care for us all and you love us all and we all have a place in your kingdom. So Father, as we as we spend this time with you, as we reflect, as we as a church go forward to evangelize the world, let us not leave anyone out. And Father, today we ask that as we continue to serve you, that we humble ourselves and give ourselves over to you wholly and completely. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody.